0: Hello there my friend. I just wanted to ask a quick personal favor of you before we get into this episode. If you haven't already, it would mean a lot to me if you could take 30 seconds and leave this show a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't use Apple Podcasts to listen, it would be really helpful if you could leave a rating and review there anyway. Those ratings help attract new listeners, market the show within the app, and maybe most importantly, help me bring on the very best guests possible. I know you think you'll do it later, but please just head over there right now and let me know what you think.
1: I define the zone of genius as that place where like you could get lost and do it for hours and it feels so easy and so natural to you. And when other people are like, I don't understand how that feels so easy, like you don't understand how that's not easy for that person.
0: You're listening to Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. In this episode, I'm talking with Tasha Booth,
1: I am the CEO and founder of The Launch Guild. We are a launch implementation support agency, so we do all things with the implementation side of launches, all the way from starting a launch project plan, all the way through Facebook ads and graphics and all that stuff. And on the other side of my business, I own also TashaBooth.com, which I help VAs start, grow, and scale their own profitable and sustainable businesses.
0: Not only has Tasha developed a system to efficiently and effectively plug her team into other people's businesses, She's had a lot of experience plugging other people into hers, having built up her team at the Launch Guild to 22 people. And so in this episode, I wanted to get Tasha's best tips on what you can do to grow your team, including when to start thinking about making your first hire.
1: When you don't have time to work on your business anymore, when you feel like you're constantly working in your business and not working on your business, that's definitely a signal that you need help.
0: The one part of the hiring process that causes the most problems down the line, if not done correctly.
1: The onboarding piece is the piece that I see it go off the rails so easily and so quickly. A lot of people will hire really amazing people and then they'll be like, good luck, basically, you know, send them into their business. And then they wonder why it falls apart or why there are so many unmet expectations.
0: And why you need to rethink your pricing structure as you begin growing your team.
1: I think the first and second hire that I had, I kept my pricing the same as when I was a solopreneur. And all of a sudden I was like, this feels harder rather than easier, and I'm making less than more. Like, why do do people do this? I don't understand.
0: (laughs) In the end, the goal of hiring is about allowing each member of your team to spend more time in their zone of genius on the tasks that they can do better than anyone else. That goes double for you as the CEO and visionary.
1: I am in charge of the decisions and I am in charge of kind of steering the ship. So I need to make sure that I'm setting aside the time to do that visionary work in order to be able to know where exactly I want to go in the first place.
0: I was first introduced to Tasha by a previous guest of this podcast, Andrea Jones, who had started working with an online business manager or OBM through Tasha and her team at the Launch Guild. After hearing what an impact Andrea's OBM was having in her business, I knew I had to get in touch with Tasha. And a few weeks later, I was working with my own OBM supplied by the Launch Guild. Now, before Lindsay, my OBM, joined my team, we already had 11 people on at Counterweight Creative. But having someone be able to step into an operations role, even for only 5 hours a week, has really allowed me to feel, for the first time in my business, that I'm really spending the majority of my time in the role of CEO. If you haven't experienced that feeling already, I really genuinely want that for you, and I hope this episode gives you some guidance on how to get there, because this is where business starts to feel really fun. But I'm getting ahead of myself. I wanted to start off this conversation with Tasha by asking her what her day-to-day was like back before she made her very first hire.
1: So three months before my first hire, I know that I was very much on the brink of burnout, very overwhelmed, and... I don't know that I even planned. I I actually know that I did not plan my first hire or even my first three hires very well, which I'm sure we'll get into. But three months before my first hire, it was just me. And I had 25 clients by myself at one point. (laughs) I still, when I think back to that, I'm like, how did that even happen? (laughs) But yeah, it was overwhelming.
0: And so when you look today, what you're actually able to get done in a day, Compared to back then, like what are the types of tasks that you're, you know, now able to spend your time focusing on that you just didn't have the time or bandwidth to devote to before?
1: Yeah. So I think of those things as CEO level tasks, those things being the things that only you can do, right? That it's really hard to replicate and Um, train somebody else to really do, or it's just impossible to do in your business. So those are things like visibility. I spend a lot of time just connecting with people. I spend a lot of time on coffee chats or on Instagram stories and, and those things so that people see the humanity behind our business and that it's owned by and operated by people, you know, and not just a company. I also spend a lot of time mentoring and doing some internal things in terms of team and really figuring out how can we make our team, uh, just better at what they do um, and more efficient at what they do. Um, and also just, I want to make sure that our team is feeling good. And that means mentoring them to feel good about, you know, how they're doing their jobs. Uh, so that's a lot of it too. And then I just, I do a lot of coaching on the Tasha Booth side of my business too. So I spend a lot of my day either prepping to coach or doing trainings, uh, both group or one-on-one coaching and, and training types of things. None of that was possible, especially the growth that has happened on the other side and the coaching side of my business when it was just a solopreneur and it was just me, that that was all completely impossible.
0: <laughs> I think it's interesting. Almost every single thing that you mentioned on that list, I think that most people who are, even if you have maybe one or two contractors, employees, support of some kind, those just feel like impossible tasks. Like they feel entirely disconnected from the work that's actually being done. A lot of our audience is coaches or practitioners who like, there's a lot of identity in like them doing the work. And mm-hmm. you kind of mentioned that those tasks you consider CEO tasks, like visibility and you know team culture and, and all that type of thing. That's a huge mindset shift to go from a practitioner to a CEO. Do you remember when you made that transition and, and how you kind of leveled up that mindset?
1: Yeah, I love that question because it is super huge in terms of mindset shift. And what I found was that, especially as coming from a virtual assistant, like I'm used to being in the background, I'm used to supporting other people and I can't take that back seat in my own business or else I don't have a business. Right. So I don't know exactly when I shifted. I think it was when I joined a mastermind that was specifically to become an agency owner. And so once I joined that mastermind, it, it shifted for me in terms of like, oh, I am in charge of the decisions and I am in charge of kind of steering the ship. So I need to make sure that I'm setting aside the time to do that visionary work in In order to be able to know where exactly I want to go in the
0: first place. And so like making the mindset shift and then transitioning into actually doing those tasks and that being the bulk of your time, how long a process was that from the moment you decided like, okay, I see that this is valuable. I can't just be a practitioner working in the business forever to actually that being like your actual role and the bulk of your Mm -hmm. your day-to-day work.
1: Yeah, it was probably, it was at least a year, probably a year and a half. And it was a very gradual shift because the first thing I had to do was figure out like who exactly I needed on my team to support and create like that org chart, that organizational mm-hmm. chart for it, and then start incrementally hiring those people. Cause you can't just go from like no people to, you know, 22 people <laughs> that that does not work well. Let me just tell you. <laughs> so, um, I, yeah, I definitely think that just doing incrementally and then slowly, uh, releasing myself from the day to day was how I did. It and how it worked best for, for my business.
0: The incremental approach that Tasha is talking about here is the same one that I followed and is what I would recommend to most small business owners. Especially if you've never managed anyone before, you have a steep learning curve ahead of you, and it's going to take some time to figure out the process for delegating, giving feedback, and really effectively integrating other people into your business. Like Tasha mentioned, there's going to be some mindset work involved as well. For all of these reasons, it's best to start small, which, when you're making your first hire, is probably all you have the budget for anyway. When starting small, however, the effort of finding, hiring, and training someone often doesn't feel like it will be worth the minimal time savings you'll achieve. But it's important to understand that time savings will compound over time. Handing off one hour per week might not feel like much when you have a million fires burning and you're on the edge of burnout. Trust me, I've been there. But in my experience, Freeing up that one hour often allows you the time and space to develop the systems or trainings to hand off something else. Over time, you're able to slowly build up your library of standard operating procedures or SOPs and team trainings, outsource the tasks that don't require your direct attention and grow your team, at least until a point. One of the most common roadblocks business owners run into when beginning to scale their team is around pricing. And yes, again, I'm speaking from experience. While understanding your profit margins might not matter a whole lot when it's just you, as you start adding more people into your business and incurring more expenses, whether it's contractors or employees, that knowledge becomes essential. It took me a number of hires without raising my rates to realize that I was really painting myself into a corner by not raising my prices as my team grew. I wanted to know if Tasha had experienced anything similar.
1: I think the first and second hire that I had, I kept my pricing the same as when I was a solopreneur. And all of a sudden I was like, this feels harder rather than easier. And I'm making less than more. Like, why do, why do people do this? I don't understand. <laughs> and then once I realized, like, oh, I'm not going to be able to be competitive on the pricing side anymore and that's okay. So I think a lot of what I see, even with the people that I mentor as they're building their own agencies, what I see is that they are afraid to have to price themselves higher because they're afraid of pricing themselves out of the market, right? But what I came to realize is that I then have to just have a different way of explaining the value that having a team brings. And so instead of saying, you know, like, well, we can probably beat the competition in price because we can't and we're never going to. Now I, I tell people on discovery calls. If somebody doesn't know something, we have 21 other people that probably know the answer to that. You know, if somebody's on vacation, like we have 21 other people that can step in for them. And so you're really getting the support of a full team. And that has been so instrumental in in us being able to raise our prices in a way that allows me to make money and be able to continue to support the team without bottoming out basically in terms of price.
0: Yeah. And I know from from talking with you uh, previously that you have no shortage of leads coming through the door. So uh, clearly the, <laughs> yeah. the pricing isn't an issue that is holding you back from growing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that one of the things that you talk a lot about is especially for CEOs and, and really for anyone who's in any any business is that each person is staying within their zone of genius. And I think it's a lo- very hard for a lot of entrepreneurs and CEOs who start things to believe that any single person is actually in their zone of genius doing admin type work or something like that. Like that feels boring and a drain on them. Mm-hmm. So how do you kind of think about the, and define the zone of genius for people so that they can identify for that for themselves, but also ensure that their team members are you know, in roles that are actually uh, making the best use of their unique skills and abilities?
1: Yeah. So I define the zone of genius as that place where like you could get lost and do it for hours and it feels so easy and so natural to you, you know? And when other people are like, oh, that I don't understand how that feels so easy. Like you don't understand how that's not easy for that person. And I love that you used admins as an example, because like we have a rockstar admin on our team, Tawana, who just, she's so gifted at answering questions in inboxes. It's amazing. It's incredible. And she loves doing it. And so I think that it's the place where it's easy for you and you enjoy it. Like it's that intersection of both of them, that that's your zone of genius and that's what lights you up inside.
0: So one of the things that I think I recognize this in myself, and I think with so many entrepreneurs and people who start things is that you are able to gain a lot of traction initially because you're good at a lot of things. And a lot of those Mm -hmm. things you might even enjoy doing. So like, I love graphic design, even though I'm not a designer. I love systems. That's my preferred choice of procrastination is tweaking systems and automations (laughs) and all these types of things. And then there's also the other things like marketing and visibility that you talked about. So when somebody is like, well, I like all of these things, and I'm good at all of these things, how do you start identifying like, okay, well, I'm good at all these things, these kind of all exist in this intersection, and that's probably why I've been successful to this point. But how do you start chunking those out and saying like, okay, well, this is actually the more valuable one for me to do versus somebody else?
1: Yeah. So there's a couple things that I ask people to do when they're trying to figure out what they exactly need to be doing in their business versus what they want to be doing. So the first thing is we want to do a time inventory. And I like doing that for about five days. And it's basically where you just like, you can put a sheet of paper down next to you, you can put it up on a Google Doc, however you want to track your time, but you're going to track what you're doing every single minute of your workday and how long it's taking you. And then you're gonna circle the things that you wanna hand off to somebody else, right? Those things that like either take you too long or don't feel good and everything. Those things that are easy, then it becomes a little bit harder because then you're gonna have the things that you're just like, you know what? I really actually kind of enjoy this, or I really, really enjoy this. But we're gonna start the things that are just like, you know, these are kind of, I, a lot of people call them $10 tasks. I'm like, I don't like paying anybody $10. So <laughs> let's call them $20 an hour tasks, right? What are those $20 an hour tasks versus the $100 an hour tasks or the $500 an hour tasks? We're going to evaluate what are some of the things that maybe you wanna keep for a longer amount of time on your list because they are higher level tasks. And so they're harder to give over to somebody else and they're actually making you more money as you're doing them. Versus, what are the things that maybe you do actually enjoy, but They're, you know, they're easier tasks. They're things that, that you can give over to somebody else. I'll give you this this example. So one of the things that I really love is tech. I've always loved doing tech. And like when I first became a VA, that was the thing that I was really, really good at. Right. And so one of the things that I love setting up are acuity. Like I love setting up the um, acuity systems for, for clients. And I kept that, On my plate for so long, it didn't even make sense. And then when I did like the time inventory and realized, like I'm spending, yeah, it only takes me, you know, an hour and a half, two hours to set up Acuity, but that's like two coaching calls that I could be doing. You know, Mm -hmm. Acuity setups are twenty dollars an hour, maybe coaching calls are two hundred and fifty to four hundred dollars, you know, an hour. Like that doesn't make sense anymore. So eventually. We are going to need to start pulling back even some of the things that we enjoy doing, but that don't make sense economically for our business.
0: Tasha mentioned the importance of time tracking in being able to get a clear view of where you're currently spending your time and then making decisions about where you should be spending your time going forward. Time tracking is something that I'm religious about and is a practice that I attribute a lot of my own transformation as a business owner to as I've shifted more and more of my time to the role of CEO over the past few years. I use a free tool called Toggle, that's T-O-G-G-L, to track my time, and I can't recommend it highly enough. I'll include a link to it in the show notes. Along with Toggle, I've recently started using the system for classifying tasks that Tasha mentioned, labeling them as 10, 100, 1000, or $10,000 per hour tasks, which is something that I first read about in a blog post from Kay He, who I hope to have on the podcast in the future. I'll include a link to his blog post in the show notes. But the first system I used for classifying tasks and assessing where I was spending my time was a bit more basic, and consisted of simply labeling each task as green, yellow, or red. Green tasks were things I really enjoyed doing and which left me energized. Yellow tasks were neutral, and red tasks, you guessed it, were the tasks I hated doing, procrastinated on, or found downright draining. Of course, it's not always possible to immediately hand off all the red tasks, but this system of analyzing your time gives you a clear view of not just how to hand off tasks to make your business more efficient and profitable, but how to actually improve your day-to-day experience of working in your business and actually make you happier. One of my favorite ways of procrastinating these days is to skim back through my monthly toggle reports and see how my time allocation has shifted over the past couple of years. From then being mostly client work and tedious admin tasks to today being made up of mostly creative, energizing, strategic tasks and projects that really fill me up with energy and ideas. Time tracking can help you make much clearer decisions about who to hire, but it can still be difficult to know when to bring on someone new. Tasha mentioned that her first few hires were reactive. I wanted to know if she had any tips on being more thoughtful and strategic about bringing new people on, and what some of the signs are that you should start to think about expanding your team.
1: I think when you don't have time to work on your business anymore, when you feel like you're constantly working in your business and not working on your business, that's definitely a signal that you need help. Um, When you're almost to full capacity, that's another (laughs) signal that you need help. Or when you're just feeling like, you know what, I am so in the weeds and all of these things, I can't think past tomorrow, basically, on what needs to be done. That's another signal. Oh, you might need some help.
0: (laughs) So I know that you and your team at the Launch Guild offer a lot of services and you work closely with VAs and training VAs, but you also have online business managers or OBMs, Mm -hmm. which uh, I have an OBM through you guys. And it's been transformative, I'll say, (laughs) to have her at work in my business. So I know that there are a a lot of things. And then you also do like the just launch outsourcing, which is just a Mm -hmm. a time limited kind of thing. So when you see these people who are overworked, too busy, how do you recommend they decide like where they should plug someone in or if it's a specific project like a launch? or something like how does somebody wrap their head around like okay which person is going to make the biggest difference.
1: Yeah. So I think number one it goes back to that time in inventory of figuring out like uh, is it the tracking like it, is it metrics tracking is it project management is it inbox management like what are the things what are the actual tasks that need to be handled within the business that will really inform like who you need to hire um in terms of your business. And I also think that when it comes to something like a launch where it's like project based it's a lot in terms of what do, you, what do you feel like you're good at and what's your budget, basically, exactly, right? So um, a lot of times, like, we get clients who don't feel really good with, like, setting up their launch tech or doing the design, the sales page design and stuff like that for their launches, but they feel really good with their copy. So they're like, okay, you guys are going to handle that. I'm going to handle the copy. So it's really a matter of, once again, going back to what makes the most sense, what feels good.
0: I mentioned at the start of this episode that I've been working with Lindsay, an online business manager through the Launch Guild. But until just a month before I brought Lindsay on, I didn't even know what an OBM was and what distinguished them from a VA.
1: So VA, virtual assistant, are task-based, right? So basically what that means, or the example that I give, is that... If you you go and you give that VA a task, you know, check my inbox, they check the inbox, they come back and say, okay, check your inbox, what do I need to do next? Whereas an OBM is a combination of the implementation or task-based things like a VA, but also management-level things, so those higher-level things. Um, I liken it to just like in an office where there's usually an office manager that is also looking after maybe some of those team members or tracking some metrics or setting up systems or tracking systems or managing projects. That's what that OBM is doing. So normally you'd have an OBM in a business that already has at least one VA or a couple VAs or other types of team members so that they're focusing on larger projects and those higher level things that just kind of like surround the business and give the business a full on hug is how I like to call it. Yeah.
0: Regardless of who you're bringing on, what role they're filling in your business and how experienced they are, The truth is that bringing someone into your business is a difficult process, especially for business owners who are new to growing and managing a team. We all want to imagine that our new hires will come into our business, hit the ground running, and transform things overnight. But that often isn't the case. More commonly, we end up disappointed that they don't seem to be picking up on things as quickly as we'd like, and that we have to spend a lot more time providing feedback and guidance on their work. I wanted to know where Tasha commonly sees things go wrong when it comes to growing a team and what we as business owners can do to avoid these pitfalls.
1: So the onboarding piece is the piece that I see it go off the rails so easily and so quickly. A lot of people will hire really amazing people and then they'll be like, good luck, basically, you know, send them into their business. And then they wonder why it falls apart or why Mm -hmm. there, you know, there are so many unmet expectations. So what we want to do before we even hire that person is we're going to start probably about a month before we're hiring that person. We're going to start creating those first SOPs, standard operating procedures procedures and those first tasks that are associated with it so that when that person comes into your business from day 1 you can give them kind of a starting to-do list and that shouldn't be everything in the kitchen sink we want to slowly onboard them but that could be like a first couple tasks that maybe you've just recorded a video of like how you want that task done or how you've done it in the past something that they can kind of start working from and understand your process so i think that's that's number 1 to kind of prep in advance for that person, I liken it a lot to if you've ever been in corporate, I know I had a corporate job way back when, it feels like, but you know, that first day, like they show you around, they show you where your desk is, where the bathroom is, where the kitchen is, all that stuff. And that is, that's basically setting expectations for like, here's the environment. It's the same thing when you have somebody new in your business. You need to show them, you know, where their tasks are, where things are folder wise and stuff like that. And then the second part is create a container for communication. So what I mean by that is, a lot of times people are like, "Oh, they have so many questions." Well, they're gonna have questions. They're new. (laughs) They don't know your business as well as you do. So if you create a container and can say to them, "Okay, the last 15 minutes of every day, let's just do a quick huddle for this first week." You know, like let's hop on Zoom for this first week and and talk. Or if you just let them know. Tuesdays and Thursdays are my really busy days. So if you have questions, if you could try to send them to me Monday, Wednesday, Friday, then I'll be able to get back to you. You know, it's, it's the communication factor. And then the last piece is the feedback factor and understanding that just because they didn't do something to exactly how you would want it done that first time does not mean that they're broken, <laughs> does not mean that you you know need to fire and start all over. It just means that you need to communicate and give them the feedback and show them the parts that they did really well and the parts that you would like to see be done differently and then give them an opportunity to make those corrections and those changes.
0: Yeah. And I think that it's really important to understand and like really have a conversation with the people who you're bringing on around what their preferred method of communication is and where they learn mm-hmm. best. And I was just doing team reviews with my team over the past two weeks. And one of my team members said, you know, you, you always do Loom videos for everything to explain things or give updates. And she's like... I'm a reader. Like I don't. I hate watching videos, and I hate watching videos too. I would always prefer to skim <laughs> really? and read. Yeah. But early on, I had another team member, my first hire, who I tried to write everything. It was all text, and it was just really difficult to explain what I wanted through writing, and it took a long time to write too. So at some point, I moved to to videos, uh, doing screen recordings or whatever it was for the task, and that was really effective for most people. But now I, I'm almost having the other thing where it's like. Oh, so okay. So maybe I went too far on this, and and some people actually this isn't useful, or that's why they might not be getting some of the updates or or tweaks that I'm requesting of them. It comes back to almost a love languages type thing of like people speak yeah. and receive in different kind of forms.
1: Yeah. I love that you point that out because in, so we have a team onboarding packet that has like all their you know important information um, as we're getting new team members and everything. And one of the things that I have in there is just random things that they need to know about me. So one of the things that my team members need to know about me is that I have adult ADD and so I can't do long emails. Like, If they send me a long email with a lot of paragraphs, I can't read it and I can't like get the information. So I need them to like break it up into either shorter paragraphs or bullet points or send it to me in a voxer. Um, I also can't do long videos because I'll just zone out. And so I need them to keep it short, sweet to the point, right? So that just helps them to be able to communicate better with me. And I love that you said, you know, same thing for for you to be able to communicate better with your team members as well.
0: So- One of the things that holds people back from hiring, probably when they should, is that there is often this gap between like, well, okay, I'm going to be out of pocket this money before I see any results. So I'm curious with all the people that you work with, whether it's launches, whether it is, you know, hiring an OBM, whether it's VAs, all these things in your experience working with clients, do they have a pretty clear sense of the ROI being tied back to that person coming on? And like, how long does it take to see that?
1: Yeah. I don't know that I can answer the How long does it take to see that? Because <laughs> I think it depends, but there definitely should be a clear understanding of like what this person's role is and what the ROI based off of that is going to be. I think that one of the things that you can do to kind of get ahead of that is to start putting away whatever the estimated amount is for that team member a couple months in advance. First of all, that kind of trains your brain that like, this is not my money, you know, like it's going somewhere else, it's not gonna go to me. And then second of all, you just have a little bit of backup so that if you have a lower than average month, it doesn't quickly become an emergency where you have to let that team member go for that month because you haven't made as much as you thought you were going to. You've got a little slush fund in that. But I know that for me, The ROI was pretty quick because it allowed me to focus on other things that had higher ROIs than the work that I was doing, you know, that that team member is now doing instead of me.
0: Personally, I know that it's been a lot easier to make the leap and justify a new hire when I have a list of things that I know will help to bring in more revenue for the business, but I just don't have time to get to. Things like creating a new paid program or online course, building out my online funnels or creating this podcast are all examples of things that approach the right way and given time should create more profit. Keeping a list of those things that you know will make your business more money if you could only get to them is a good first step for psyching yourself up to make that next hire. But something I've also found is that simply bringing on a new team member doesn't always immediately make everything run more efficiently and allow you to operate solely in your zone of genius. Oftentimes, we as business owners have entrenched ways of thinking about and operating within our businesses that result in us being the bottleneck for a whole series of processes and decisions. In these cases, no matter how many people we add to our team, until we're able to remove ourselves from those bottleneck positions, things just aren't going to flow as smoothly as they could. I was curious if Tasha has observed any bottlenecks that were consistent across the business owners she works with.
1: So the two big, biggest bottlenecks, number one, if there's not kind of a team lead or somebody in between you and the rest of the team sometimes, that means that every decision, like you were saying, every decision or every thing that the other team members need, questions about things, even little tiny things like last passes and stuff like that. All of that has to be filtered to you, right? If you are the only person that is able to make any of those decisions or act on any of those things. So that's number one. The other place that I see a lot of times is if the only person that Is the CEO, is the business owner. And so many people do that when they first start because they're either afraid of like their team members poaching their clients or they're afraid of like how their clients will react to having other people reach out to them. I've always found that it's been a really positive client experience. And it's once again, just the way that you kind of broach the subject with the client and the way that you explain it to them. Um, but that's another place that I know that I was the bottleneck, you know, and it became a game of telephone basically, you know, where the the team member was doing something, but then they'd have a question. And so they'd have to go through me and then I'd have to go to the client. And I didn't want to be the the middleman anymore. So once I refocused my team members and said, okay, you're going to have an at the Launch Guild email address. You're going to talk to the client. I wish I had done that like 10 years ago. I wasn't in business 10 years ago, but I still wish I had done that 10 years ago.
0: (laughs) So I feel like I'm kind of at that phase as well, where more and more of our team members are becoming client facing. And that's something that our clients have actually requested in the past, which I thought was so interesting because I had had this kind of sense that, yeah, I would like people to know who they're working with a bit more, but I'd had some of those same fears. Um, But it was interesting to hear that my clients too, like, wanted to know who was editing their podcast or who was, you know, writing the blog posts or whatever it was. And some of our team members been echoing some of the same things. And so how did you kind of make that pitch to the clients? Because some, some people like want to work with you because you're the CEO and how did you kind of make that pitch to the clients where they were like, Oh, this makes sense.
1: Yeah. So I definitely did it backwards first. So what I mean by that is I waited to make that change with my long-term clients like until the last. So I started it with newer clients coming in and I first started by changing my messaging from all me-centric to we-centric, you know. So at the launch guild we instead of at the launch guild I or my business, our business, you know, changing that um really helped set the expectation from the minute they landed on our website that they weren't necessarily going to just be working with me or at all with me, that they were going to be working with other people on our team. And I just make my team really the focus and let them know that, like, my team is a team of rock stars. If you go to thelaunchguild.com, like, we've got an entire team page where it talks about each one of our team members. And I think that's important, like, to start that conversation from the very beginning. And then it's an easy conversation once you get on the discovery call, because it's not a surprise, you know, to the client.
0: Yeah, I found that too, where Not that you're doing it on purpose, but the more you kind of hide your team in the background from the client, the less confidence they actually have in them. Whereas if you're like, this is the team and like I trust them and I'm putting them on my website under all my branding, like they have my seal of approval. Then you're kind of putting your name on it that like, you know, you believe in the people that you hire and how you onboard them and how you train them. And that kind of then other people that that's carried on. They're like, oh, okay, you know, I've had a good experience working with them. So I can only imagine that they do a good job in all the other aspects of their business and who they bring on. If you're looking to grow your audience, guesting on podcasts is one of the very best ways to increase your exposure and spread your message. And it's totally doable yourself. When done right, guesting on other shows allows you to get in front of hundreds or even thousands of your ideal clients and then pull them back to your content. I've put together a free mini course to help you understand how to target the right shows for you and make pitches that actually get you booked. To sign up for the course, just head over to betterwellness.biz slash podcast guesting to get the first video in your inbox today. Aside from building an incredible business in the Launch Guild, Tasha has a background working in nonprofits, creating a wellness blog, and musical theater. I'm a big believer that while our past careers and experiences might not always feel relevant to what we're currently doing, they can have a massive impact on how we approach our work and if embraced, really help differentiate us from others providing similar offerings. Given Tasha's diverse background, I was curious how she thought about the impact of her previous endeavors.
1: I definitely remember the first business conference that I went to when I started as a VA. We had like a whole mindset session. And afterwards, I said to somebody, I was like, you know, I don't feel like I have as many mindset issues to get over, especially when it comes to like people saying no or getting over objections and stuff like that. Because in musical theater, I'm used to going to auditions and hearing the word no all the time, you know? So I think that that is one of the things that I feel like to this day has really helped me in my business, just being able to, be told no and be like, okay, moving on to the next client. That's not an ideal client for me. The other thing is just being able to show up and the visibility piece comes really naturally to me because of my background in theater and loving to be on stage, to be honest, you know? So this is just, this is a different stage for me now. When it comes to even working at a nonprofit, um, especially I had a team of 40 that worked under me um, or with me at the nonprofit And so that was just a lot of team culture and team building and in a very similar way to having a virtual team because I was in charge of the um, health and wellness department. And so a lot of like if if I had a boot camp instructor who only worked Saturday nights, you know, I probably saw that person every six months and had to figure out different ways to create relationship and to let them know that I was still there for them and everything. So I think that that's very, very similar to, you know, having a, a, a team all across the U.S. and Canada like I
0: do now. What about it from a negative side? Because I feel like there are a lot of positives that come from our past experiences. And then there are also things a lot of times tied back to mindset that your previous experiences, things might've been done a certain way or there was just a certain culture. Is there anything that you can think back that you have to overcome because of those experiences?
1: Yeah, so I definitely remember last year, um, I flew to Toronto to do a VIP day with my coach. And I kept telling her about like, I just had this block when it came to systems and not like systematizing everything, but like, I just didn't want to over systematize things, I think, you know, and I was afraid of like having too much structure. And I kept saying, like, I don't want to make it corporate. Like, I hated, you know, all the paperwork that we had to fill out and all those things. And she was like, the systems are the thing that frees you. Like, when you have, you know, good systems, you have the freedom to do other things and to not have to reinvent the wheel all the time. And she was like, you're talking more about like team culture and what you want your team to feel as you're working together and everything. And when I, shifted it that way, then I was like, oh, okay, that makes total sense. So I finally got over my mindset block around, you know, having too many systems or too much paperwork and everything.
0: <laughs> Speaking of culture, what do you feel like, why is that important for an online remote team? And what do you do to kind of reinforce that and set that tone within years?
1: I think the team culture thing is so important in a virtual team or a remote team because you don't get to see each other as much. And so if you really want people who are going to stick around for the long haul and who are going to have your back in things and really be an advocate for you in your business, then they need to know what your business is about. They need to know what your mission statement is and what your core values are. And they also need to see each other and feel like a family. That's so hugely important in my team. And I, I think that that's the thing that I'm most proud of when it comes to the Launch Guild, that I really feel like we, work as a cohesive unit We love on each other, you know, we talk to each other even when we don't have to. (laughs) And um, what we've done for that is we have weekly team meetings that everybody is basically required or strongly advised to be at. (laughs) And that's maybe 15 to 30 minutes at most, most weeks. But it's just a matter of getting to see each other's faces on that Zoom call. We also do things like team shout outs. So if somebody's gone above and beyond, we like recognize them on that call and thank them publicly. We also do like little giveaways. We do our invoices every first and fourth Friday. And so sometimes I'll pop into the group and be like, Hey, whoever sends their invoice in third today gets a $25 in like Amazon gift card or just little things that create camaraderie with your team.
0: I love that. And yeah, culture is one of the the things that most excites me as well. And I think it's hard to sometimes measure, but one of the beliefs that I build the way that I, I structure my team culture and business on is that the team really comes first. And if you put the team first, then they put the clients first. And then, you know, your business takes care of you. Uh, and it kind of flows down from there. Whereas I think a lot of people like, if a client said something bad about a team member might be like, okay, well, that I can't trust that team member or like, mm-hmm. you know, they might even throw them under the bus in some instances to preserve the client relationship, where, you know, I, I really feel like if you believe in the people that you're hiring, you should stick by them and, Clients can be demanding at times. And yeah. that's not to say that they're like bad clients all the time, but your team is the people who are going to probably outlast a lot of your clients if you build a good culture. And so it, it's really worth really investing in them and taking them seriously and putting their kind of happiness and, and fulfillment first.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I know that there's been a couple times where we have had clients that have not been the nicest to team members. And I've you know, said to that team member, like, let me know if this gets too much because I have no problem firing that client. Like, I want to keep you. You know, um, and I think that, that that is so important. And your team will go above and beyond when they know that you have their back.
0: Yeah, I'm curious. Looking forward into the coming year, I feel like most of us there's always some something we're nervous about coming up, where there's another leap to be taken that we're kind of like, uh, am I ready for this yet? <laughs> yeah. When you're thinking about that, going into the next six months or a year, like what's that next leap for you that you're kind of like getting butterflies about?
1: Oh, I know exactly what that is. <laughs> and the butterflies are like coming out now that you're asking. So um, earlier this month, my entire team, it was crazy because like five of us said it on the same day and we were like, we feel this energy of like, this is just our business is about to take a massive leap forward. And so I think that for... For me, that means that we're also going to be doing a massive hiring pretty soon. And there's going to be another structural level in terms of leadership. Right now, when I think of leadership, I think of me as a CEO and Jay LaRay as my director of operations, um, that being the leadership. But I think like we need to start building in some more like team leads, you know, micro team leads, those sorts of things. So all of that is being built because I really believe that 2021 is going to be my million-dollar year for the Launch mm-hmm. Guild which is so crazy to say out loud. <laughs> I know. But the growth this year has been astronomical and we're probably going to exceed what we thought our revenue was going to be anyway this year. And I just, we we can all feel like kind of this pounding moving forward into the next year.
0: That's amazing. And uh, I, I'm so excited to be able to have like one of the things that you offer that I've actually stolen from you since starting to work from you is the monthly <laughs> client check-ins, which is something that that was one of those things that I never had the bandwidth to do that before, is I was too much in the business. And so I so much love every month getting to chat for 15 or 20 minutes with you and just hear what's going on in your business. And Yeah. Uh, so- So I'm excited to continue and and follow along with you uh, as you hopefully go for that uh, million mark over the the coming year. Thank you. And hopefully steal some more of your tricks and secrets along the way. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So I like to say that this uh, is a show about building a better world, kind of disguised as a show about building a better wellness business. So I'm curious when you hear the phrase, you know, building better, what comes to mind for you and how does that kind of show up in the work that you do?
1: Yeah, um, definitely building better means giving back and making the world a better place that as we are blessed, we bless others. Um, we this year decided that we, and I really mean we as a team, as the Guild team, decided that we were going to give 1% of every month's revenue to a different charity. So what that means for our team is that Around the third week of each month, Jaylaray puts into our Slack channel and she opens it up for nominations for any charities that um, the team feels like are deserving. So usually we have a list of like three to five charities. We put that open for about three days, and then they vote on it for another two days. And whoever they vote on, I just go on to their website and you know, whatever 1% of our income from that month is, we donate to that charity. And it's been really, really cool to see because there are so many smaller charities that maybe don't get the recognition that they deserve or that they need in order to be able to do what they're doing. Um, Last month, we gave to a charity that donates socks to homeless people and that also does their laundry. And that's like, oh- that's such a need, you know, and the lady didn't know me from Adam, but she actually tracked me down on Facebook. She found me on Facebook and she sent me a message and she was so grateful. And so I think that those little things like we sometimes think that it needs to be a grand gesture and it doesn't matter unless it's like a million dollars, but it really, really doesn't matter to those
0: charities. Yeah. Is there anybody, any uh, individuals, companies that are really inspiring you in how they're kind of using their business to go beyond the actual like service or product that they provide to, you know, help their communities or the world?
1: Yeah. um, ConvertKit and Dubsado, both of those. So ConvertKit showed up in a really big way when COVID hit. I think it was like they ended up with like $5 million or some craziness in donations. It was really incredible to see. Um, We actually ended up partnering with them to give a donation to somebody because of it and Obsado actually they created a black creative council after the black lives movement um re-sparked and everything and they invited me to be a part of it and just seeing their willingness to want to show up and not just want to show up and do something but like ask actual black people like what it is that we need them to do you know um and that was really really amazing as well so yeah they're both doing amazing work
0: I'm a user of both ConvertKit and Upsato, and I can't say enough good things about both of them. In both cases, the product is amazing and that's essential. But their commitment to using their platforms to create positive change in their communities is what pushes them over the top and really sets them apart for me. Both of these are perfect examples of what I think of as better businesses and both of them have been huge inspirations to me as I continue to grow my own business. Before wrapping up our conversation, I asked Tasha about what she'd learned about building a Rockstar team. Having had so many amazing interactions with everyone I've talked to at the Launch Guild, I wanted to know what her secret sauce is.
1: Oh, <laughs> I've learned that it takes time and it also takes consistently showing up for them. And when you sh- consistently show up for them and give them feedback, both when it's a positive thing, thank them and let them know that they're doing an awesome job. And when it's a hard conversation, also just lead with integrity and love and um, understanding that people are people and they make mistakes, that yeah, you, you can easily have a rockstar team.
0: Building and managing a team can be one of the most rewarding experiences in your business, but it can also be one of the most challenging and, to be honest, at times, frustrating. I hope this conversation with Tasha has given you some clarity on how to approach the process of deciding when to hire, who to hire, how to onboard people effectively, and how to think about culture as your team begins to grow. Managing a team and thinking about shaping the culture has been one of the unexpected joys of running a business for me. So this is definitely something that I'll be talking about more in the future. For this week's question, I'd love to know what the next hire is for you and what's currently holding you back from making it. You can head over to betterwellness.biz slash voice and leave me a voice message there. I'd love to feature your response on an upcoming episode. For me, the next couple of hires are a marketing assistant and an operations person both of whom are likely to be my first employees instead of contractors. It's a scary but exciting step for the business that I'm looking forward to taking in 2021. You can find out more about Tasha at either thelaunchguild.com or tashabooth.com. Follow her on Instagram at thetashabooth, as well as checking out her amazing podcast, How She Did That, wherever you get your podcasts. I'll have all those links and more in the show notes for this episode. In next week's episode, I'll be chatting with intuitive business coach Shauna Van Bogart about connecting with your ideal audience members and how personal growth is inextricably tied to business growth. This episode was produced by our amazing team at Counterweight Creative. Big thanks in particular to Karina Penner for her work on the show notes, Ari Lombardozzi for his help with the video editing, and Casey Bowen and Francesca Mamlin for their work behind the scenes, keeping everything running smoothly and on schedule. Finally, to you, dear listener, Thank you so much for spending this time with me again, and until next time, keep building better.